At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What up and welcome in. we got a good show on tap here on The Edge. Jonathan Von Tobel with you, flying solo for maybe one more day. But we're going to talk with Nick Kalikas coming up in about 30 minutes from now. A massive USC card coming up this weekend. We'll get his thoughts, uh, the odds maker from Circa, about what's going to go down there. But a lot of football on the program here uh, because, of course, Divisional Weekend is essentially upon us, even though it's Tuesday. But wanted to quickly recap what we saw, not so much last night, but uh, Wild Card Weekend. Because if you remember in you probably should because you read Point Spread Weekly. Uh, Steve Mackinnon did a tremendous job of gathering a lot of trends, numbers, and data for you as you went into Wild Card Weekend. And uh, after a weekend that was pretty chalky, 5-1 and one to the favorite, you know, I thought it was worth going over some of these trends and systems that Steve had out there and so we could keep track of them as we move into next year. But a lot of these trends were really solid for betters after Wild Card Weekend. So you see we got six here uh, to kind of keep track of as we move into next season. But the one at the top is the one that really is, I think, Pretty surprising just how high this has hit, but the outright winner in terms of against the spread. So, again, you know, you pick the team that you like. Uh, well, then, especially if it's an underdog, you sprinkle a little bit on the money line. But the outright winner uh, wins and covers on Wild Card Weekend. This weekend, the winner covered all six games, 6-0 and against the spread. And how about that? 54-7-1 and against the spread. The outright winner, Wild Card Weekend, ATS in the last. I'm not good at math, but that's 62 games. Uh, so 54-7-1 against the spread. Outright winner against the spread. How about quarterbacks making their playoff debut against quarterbacks who have played in the postseason before? 0-3 against the spread this past weekend, and that now goes to 17-39-1 against the spread. When you're talking about quarterbacks making their playoff debut, facing another quarterback who has played in the postseason. Now, this one doesn't necessarily need the uh, facing the playoff, de- excuse me, uh, facing the quarterback with playoff experience, but quarterbacks making their playoff debut spread uh, greater than or equal to three. 0-2 straight up and 0-2 against the spread this weekend. Actually, Kyler Murray, the Arizona Cardinals, fell into this category yesterday when the number closed three of multiple books. And over the long haul here, how about this 5-23 and 23 straight up, 4-23-1 and one ATS. Quarterbacks making their playoff debut in those games, being within three points in terms of a point spread. And you get a couple of these other ones. And these weren't this wasn't a big one. We only had two home favorites this weekend of a touchdown or more. But both teams won and covered. That would be Tampa Bay and Kansas City, 2-0 against the spread, 16-4 straight up, 17-4 ATS over Wild Card Weekend. Remember, these are specific to Wild Card Weekend, so we can remember these 
as we move forward. And then a couple of totals plays, wild card unders, just period, just wild card unders. Four and two over the weekend to the under, 30, 13, and one over the last 34 wild card games. And then totals 44 or more going under, four and one. Five of those games, of course, 44 or under. If you remember, uh, the uh, Buffalo Bills game actually fell 43 and a half at the closing total, and 30, 12, and one to the under. Wild card weekend totals 44 or more going under the total. So, I just I was impressed with Mackin and, and how much data he put in there for Point Spread Weekly. But it's also I think when you look at some of these trends and you can also kind of put some legs underneath them outside of because I'm not really a big trends player, right? But when you're looking on the surface of like for example a quarterback making his playoff debut, make a little bit of sense in games that tend to be pretty tight and have some high leverage situations within the game themselves because they're all high leverage situations being playoff games. It would make sense that a rookie quarterback against a quarterback who's been there before not perform necessarily very well. Uh, also. Quarterbacks making their playoff debut when games are three points or fewer around that in terms of the spread. Those are coin flip situations. Those are a lot of tight, tight contests, right? So, again, really high leverage spots in a lot of those games. So, uh, it was pretty interesting to see. And there was a lot more in point spread weekly. And Steve's going to have those again for the coming round of divisional postseason action. But let's tie in last night to what we're going to see moving forward here as the Los Angeles Rams get a win over the Arizona Cardinals 34 to 11 Cliff Kingsbury's team looks uh, absolutely unimpressive in the loss Kingsbury afterwards said uh, something and I'm paraphrasing that his team wasn't ready for the postseason and it's like isn't that your job man like what are you talking about they, oh, they didn't look like they were ready for it uh, regardless a very very poor performance from Kyler Murray and the Cardinals and this was the right one steam uh, all of the steam of the world on the Arizona Cardinals and never even a shot at covering that number all the way through the first opener, which was five. But this is now part of the extended troubling trend for Cliff Kingsbury, who now, you know, has this uh, going back to his college days, well into his college days of his teams fading down the stretch. But Kyler Murray, I think, again, for a second consecutive year, just didn't seem to be fully healthy and all there uh, as a quarterback. And again, last night, four yards per attempt through two interceptions, just in a abysmal decision when he's getting wrapped up in the end zone and trying to fling that out that ultimately gets returned. He had a couple of turnover worthy plays and wasn't really taking shots downfield. So even with the injury issues on the back end of that defense, Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals had absolutely nothing in this contest. But as we spin this forward now, because we have plenty of months to talk about what the Arizona Cardinals are going to do for their future, the Los Angeles Rams and now sets up a really interesting matchup with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team who they met, it seems like an eternity ago, but they did play them this year, uh, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I thought this was, if you go back now, since Tom Brady has joined the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he's played the Los Angeles Rams twice. And this is just in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. <clears throat> so with Bruce Arians as his head coach, we know that he faced this version of the Rams when they played in the Super Bowl. But Tom's 0 for 2 in the two matchups in which he has faced uh, Sean McVay as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. 0-2 straight up, 0-2 against the spread. And I thought there were a couple of interesting numbers from these matchups uh, that are worth like looking at as we expand this matchup between these two as we move into divisional weekend. So uh, pass attempts, for example, right? Through two games that he has played, both this year and then the year before against Jared Goff and the Los Angeles Rams, you know, Brady's averaging 51 and a half pass attempts per game. So he's, they're not running the ball. And they're not running the ball successfully. Through two games, they're only averaging 38 and a half yards per game on the ground also. So they're not able to generate anything on the ground. He's being forced to throw the ball a lot. Yards per game hasn't really been successful in terms of what the offensive output has been for Tom Brady against Los Angeles Rams. Again, as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, talking about just over five yards per play. And 
this it makes sense to me to a certain extent if you looked at the past and what the Los Angeles Rams have been, specifically the last few years, they have been a defense that, to use the phrase, right, that has followed Brandon Staley because part of it was his defensive concept, uh, that invites the run and doesn't necessarily give up anything in terms of big plays. So it, they haven't really been able, Tom Brady, the last two seasons, been able to run the ball extremely well. Maybe you would make the argument they could do it this year because the running game has been a lot better, and their offensive line in terms of run blocking has graded much better by PFF standards or if you look at some of the football outsider metrics. But here's the problem. Well, there's a lot of injuries for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers along that offensive line. Tristan Wirfs, their offensive tackle, as we know, went down with an injury. Look at some of these injury concerns that we're talking about here with uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Tristan Wirfs, Ryan Jensen, so two starting offensive linemen. Then you have their backup tackle in Josh Wells. We know that Chris Godwin's not going to be available. Antonio Brown, as we know, is not with the team anymore, so we know about the wide receiver issues already. Now you're talking about three potential offensive linemen that aren't going to be available. And last time I checked, there's a pretty good defensive lineman that's going to be playing for the Los Angeles Rams. And this is the thing. When you, and I'm sure Michael Lombardi is going to bring this up on Lombardi line because when I was with him in New Jersey, we would talk about this all the time, right? Because you can go with the generic, like, pressure bothers quarterbacks. Of course, pressure bothers quarterbacks. Tom Brady, in turn, like, if you've watched him throughout his career, specifically the pressure up the middle has really bothered Tom Brady throughout his entire career, right? And Aaron Donald's an extremely good pass rusher. And now you're talking about an offensive line that's a little banged up that might not be able to move the ball as well on the ground. It's just, it seems on the surface that this is slowly, potentially, as we lead up to the game, looking like an archetype of the similar games that we have seen already for Tom Brady last two games against this Los Angeles Rams defense. But there's still a flip side of this, which is the Los Angeles Rams offensively and Matthew Stafford, a guy who I talked about leading all the way up to the game last night that I didn't really trust because of the turnover where they played potential of his that this offense in the Los Angeles Rams has to operate at a relatively efficient level against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. We've actually seen them do that, though. They had two, the two games, they've actually had over 400 total yards. Jared Goff had a really good game against them on that Monday night contest last year, right, in which they ended up winning by double digits. The Rams won that game at home earlier this year as well. And it's not so much that because the thing that didn't really work out for Philadelphia, their offense is super reliant on that running game, right? Like, it's got to be successful. you got to be able to generate big runs because Jalen Hurts, as we kind of saw, struggling as a passer. When it comes to the Rams' offense, they don't really have to necessarily be successful in terms of a yards per play or excuse me, yards per you know, rush uh, angle. They just have to, the opposing defense, know that the Rams are going to try to run the ball because so much of McVay's system is running off of play action and right those motions and all of those things. And so that's what leads them to success. And they're still going to be able to generate that. And the sneaky thing here, so many of the Rams runs, so many of those outside zone runs, brought this up last week when we talked about what was the Eagles' path to a victory and a cover, more than likely, against the Buccaneers. If you actually look at some of the numbers for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' front seven, they're really great in the interior and stopping the run. But those end runs, they're actually about average or below average. If you look at some of the metrics from Football Outsiders, and if you're talking about open field yards per carry, second level, yard, uh, second level yards per carry, they're, again, they're kind of average. So the point of attack, they're awesome. And stuffing runs behind the line of scrimmage are absolutely fantastic. But it does seem to me, at least on the surface, um, that the Rams might be a little bit more live here. Um, than initially thought, I believe. Now, the market hasn't really moved. It, this opened up three. It's still sitting at three pretty much everywhere. Um, there's some three minus 105s and three even money. So it's potential that this is going to move off of that three. Like, for example, Westgate and Circa both shaded to the underdog side here. And I would agree with that. 
I think the Rams are going to be pretty alive here and take a three against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that is looking maybe going to be shorthanded along the offensive line and defensively might not actually match up that well because this running game is going to be running away from the strength of that defensive line, which is Vita Vea and that interior. All of a sudden, the Rams, who looked awful down the stretch, I think have a matchup that works in their favor, and all of a sudden we could be looking at something where the Rams are finding their way to an NFC Championship game and maybe a rematch against the Green Bay Packers, which we'll get to that a little bit later in the show, but I do think it's going to be the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship game. But that would be the third straight year, wouldn't it, huh, for the uh, Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship game? Man, Aaron Rodgers, what he's been able to do the last few seasons has been great with the four. All right, with that, uh, we're not done with the divisional round uh, by any means, uh, as I'm sure all of you are. Really fascinated by what's going to happen in this Kansas City matchup against the Buffalo Bills. So we got some, uh, of course, shocking. Uh, we got some numbers for you, but I think these are going to be good numbers and like fun numbers with uh, some substance behind them because the big story for Kansas City, right, has been this turnaround, and namely this turnaround from one Patrick Mahomes. But it's not just Mahomes playing better. He is taking something that teams, and specifically Buffalo, did to him at the beginning of the year, and he has gotten much better at handling that. We'll give you the evidence on that here on the other side. It's the Edge here on VSN, the Sports Betting Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you missed any part of our show or anything on the VSIN schedule today, don't forget to check out our free sports betting podcasts. Catch replays of all of our shows or download and listen on your schedule. Go to vsin.com slash podcast, get beating the book with Gil Alexander or Market Insights with Josh Applebaum. Plus, we've got Hardwood Handicappers, good episode that is going to be on for this week. A little bit of a focus on the awards market, but also trade deadline coming up. Lombardi Line, Follow the Money, My Guys in the Desert, Coast to Coast Hoops, and many more as well. All free and available now at slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Okie dokie. So we spent some time uh, talking about that NFC matchup between the Rams and the Buccaneers. And I'm very excited for that game. They're, they're all of a sudden really intrigued by a Rams team that I think seems to have a, a path toward the NFC championship game. So let's talk about the Chiefs and the Bills, because this is, of course, the game of the weekend, the rematch from week five in which the Bills went in on Sunday night and absolutely destroyed the Kansas City Chiefs. So what is 
I wanted to focus on Mahomes for this because we have all week. We'll talk about Josh Allen. Don't worry. We'll have super good breakdowns on Josh Allen and numbers and give him all the credit of the world. Um, but wanted to focus on Mahomes because I think Mahomes is the guy, and not because he's like you know the former MVP, all that stuff. It's because he has kind of like a story, right? There's a narrative behind Mahomes, which is he has gotten better. At the beginning of the year, specifically, actually, if you look at some of the box scores, because everything kind of melts together, it's, it was that week that stretched from week five, which they played the Buffalo Bills, to week 13, which he was really bad. And there were some poor performances before that. I think the Sunday night game against the Ravens was right before that game against the Bills. I can't remember the schedule entirely. Maybe Santos, you can look that up and tell me. But regardless, weeks five through 13 are really when Mahomes was kind of at his worst from a statistical output. So wanted to kind of look at that and what we have seen from Mahomes lately. So this is just on its surface what he has done weeks 5 through 13 in the left column and then weeks 14 through the wild card game. So it includes this past Sunday, um, right, and what he has done. You can see immediately the difference in these numbers. Completion percentage from weeks 5 through 13 was only 62.3% compared to completing 71.7% of his passes from week 14 to the wild card, right, through the wild card. Yards per pass attempt, dramatically different. Essentially two yards more per pass attempt from weeks 5 through 13, only averaging 6.4 yards per attempt to 8.5 yards per attempt weeks 14 through the wild card game. By the way, that is not a typo in the next column. Touchdown to interception ratio, 1.6 weeks 5 to 13, 8.5. Essentially, he threw 17 touchdowns to two interceptions from week 14, weeks 14 all the way through the wild card game. Now, the turnover-worthy play rates is interesting, right? And that's the second little column right there, the second row. Turnover-worthy play rate is down weeks 14 through the wild card game. Not dramatically, but it is down. He is committing less of those. What is interesting is you can tell he's been a little bit less aggressive, right? Not by much, but still, weeks 5 through 13, 7.4 yards downfield as his average depth of target, 6.8 for weeks 14 through the wild card. So, on the surface, we know, it seems, as you can see right there, Patrick Mahomes has gotten better. But I mentioned when we were going out of that last break, which was, okay, so while he's gotten better on the surface, what has he got like what exactly has gotten better? And if you and I'm sure all of you do, you watch football, you love football, what has changed? Well, at the beginning of the year, and specifically that Bills game, right? Then the it's not even a narrative because it's a strategy. So the strategy changed against Patrick Mahomes. The first three years in his career, he was immaculate against the blitz, tearing teams apart. If you blitzed him, he destroyed you. If you looked at like EPA for quarterbacks, all of these things, he was dynamic against the blitz. Well, this year, you saw a shift in strategy, and teams are like, we're just not going to blitz you anymore. Career low in terms of percentage of dropbacks that he was blitzed this season. The Buffalo Bills in that Sunday night game did not blitz him a single time, not one time. Every single one of his dropbacks was against full coverage. So this is what I find really fascinating. So let's look at Patrick Mahomes when he hasn't been blitzed. And I want to specify here, too. The first column, it's not weeks 5 through 13. It's actually weeks 1 through 13. So this is the first 13 weeks of the season in which Patrick Mahomes wasn't blitzed. These are on dropbacks in which he was not blitzed. And these numbers are all courtesy of Pro Football Focus, by the way. So you see weeks 1 through 13, the left column, completion percentage 64.3%, yards per pass at 6.9, a touchdown to interception ratio of just 2, a turnover-worthy play rate of just about 3.1%, and he was he was pretty aggressive, like 8.1 average depth of target in terms of the yards downfield. But look at the change weeks 14 through the wild card game 
when he hasn't been blitzed. And you can make the argument, right, level of competition, the Bills are one of the best coverage units in the National Football League, which we'll get to. But look at that change. So now, all of a sudden, weeks 14 through the wild card, when he hasn't been blitzed, he's turned things around completely. He's completing 70% of his passes. He's averaging eight yards per attempt. His touchdown to interception ratio is incredible. Again, 12. Uh, he's been nuts in terms of what he's been able to do. And it gets 12 touchdowns to one interception. I just wanted to put that because it makes it look more dramatic. Uh, but a turnover-worthy play rate, that's pretty much identical. 2.8%. It's better, but it's almost the same. And his average depth of target drops a little bit, which means, at least to me, that he's not forcing things downfield. Or, to use a cliche, he is taking what the defense gives him. And so that brings us now to wild card, this divisional matchup against the Buffalo Bills, right? Because Patrick Mahomes has clearly gotten better. Patrick Mahomes has clearly gotten better when teams aren't blitzing him, which is the book on him now, which is we're just going to drop everybody back. We're going to force you into some mistakes. And he still does make those mistakes, right? Case in point, the beginning of the Pittsburgh Steelers game, when all of a sudden he's rolling out and there's the great shot of the Travis Kelsey just kind of sitting there, not that far downfield, but open to kind of check it down to and get something from. And instead he goes across his body. He gets tipped. He gets picked. So those mistakes are still there for Patrick Mahomes, but clearly over the last few weeks of the season from week 14 and on through the wildcard game, he's gotten better when teams are dropping back against him. And you would assume that that is going to be the exact same strategy the Buffalo Bills are going to put out there this coming weekend against him. Is it going to be as extreme? Are they going to drop back on every single snap like they did against him on that Sunday night game of week five? Not entirely sure. I will say that Tredavious White played in that game, and he's not going to be available, obviously, here because he got injured in that New Orleans Saints contest on Thanksgiving. So this is a secondary that is not complete, not at full strength like it was in that first matchup, and it's a really good corner that's not going to be out there for the Buffalo Bills. So I'm at the end of the day, like because the Josh Allen angle is pretty fascinating too because Josh Allen absolutely tore them apart in terms of this defense, and that's when that defense was at its worst too, right? But Josh Allen in that game, just in terms of overall passing and what he was able to do, three touchdowns, no interceptions. It was actually a similar performance to what he did against the Patriots, right? They had a similar PFF grade in this contest, but three touchdowns, no interceptions, 12.1 yards per attempt against them. He only had one turnover-worthy play in that game. And how about this? This is, this is from Josh Allen against the Buffalo, or excuse me, against the Kansas City Chiefs that Sunday night game. An average depth of target in that game of 13 yards downfield. Like, he was destroying them. Absolute destruction. And the cool part was Buffalo was also using him as a rusher early on because Kansas City defensively didn't really know what to do. So there's certainly a scenario where this game is high scoring. Both of these offenses are trading blows. And, but I just feel at the end of the day, for me, the difference is twofold, and they kind of tie into one another. Patrick Mahomes has gotten better, and he's clearly gotten better against something that was an issue for him at the beginning of the year. And the other part of this is he's gotten better, and the secondary that he's facing is going to be down one of their best players and has been throughout this entire rest of the season. But right, we can quibble about the schedule that the Bills have faced and the offenses and the level of passing attacks. It really hasn't been that great. But at the end of the day, we have this result right in front of us, 38-20. to 20. The Bills were awesome in that game. And it wouldn't be surprising to see a high-scoring affair, but I do think that this sets up for Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City um, to bounce back. But it's going to be interesting what the market does of this. All those two, all those two and a halfs are pretty much gone. We're down to two right now. Not surprisingly, the total is up to fifty-three and a half. It does seem that the weather is uh, pretty favorable at this point right now. Again, cold doesn't really matter. It's wind. Uh, that really changes things from a totals perspective. And with these two quarterbacks, too, wind, it's got to be pretty high wind because these guys got relatively strong arms that can handle the elements. So we're floating at round two right now. 
There were a couple of shops that were low at one and a half. There were a couple of shops that were high at two and a half. It's interesting that the South Point has moved to two because we got to talk to Chris Andrews over the weekend on opening lines about him wanting to be a little bit higher on the market. So it does seem like there was some support that pushed down Chris and the South Point. But twos across the board with a total of 54 and a half or 55. Let's see what the market does here. But initially, I think I'm ready to get hurt again one more time with the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Buffalo Bills. Uh, one more update, too, by the way, on the board because uh, some numbers are starting to shift. How about this? Uh, these sixes are now up almost everywhere for Green Bay against San Francisco in this matchup in the divisional round. Uh, we're talking about six at pretty much every shop. Circa is a little lower on the five-and-a-half side. Totals are at 47-and-a-half and a couple of 48s out there. There is a straggling five-and-a-half, uh, but one shop in the last uh, 10 minutes just went to minus six, minus 120. So we'll see if this is maybe on the verge of going to six and a half. And uh, I will double check because uh, the movement there, right, that would tell you that one of Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, um, what the issue is going to be in terms of these guys not be available. Yep. Uh, let's see. Yeah. So we'll see if there's going to be anything that has been tangible in terms of an injury update. I haven't seen anything, but I'm going to double check uh, over the break and see what's going on. But regardless, this tells you something at least when it comes to the San Francisco 49ers. Because remember, this opened a low at four and a half on Sunday. Now you're up to six in favor of the Green Bay Packers. For what it's worth, I thought it was going to be like six, six and a half at the open. Um, and now we're kind of headed in that direction. So it's going to be um, pretty – man, that's, this one's fascinating too. These are all really great games uh, for the divisional round. All right. Uh, we are all done with football momentarily. We'll come back to it as part of best bets. Uh, a little bit of college hoops too. Uh, on the other side though, I know Matt Santos and I are really excited for this coming card this weekend. Uh, we have UFC 270 and um, the two cards or the two fights at the top of the card are going to be absolutely tremendous. So when we come back, Nick Kalikas is going to join us. Rick's supervisor of Circus Sports Analyst on UFC on the line. On VSN, the Sports Betting Network. It's never too early to prepare for the big game, and we want to make sure VSN is a part of your plans. We'll be with you throughout the playoffs, and then on Championship Weekend, we'll have 56 hours of free video coverage on VSN.com, leading up to our sixth annual live big game betcast. It's the biggest big game of the year. It's the biggest game of the year, not the biggest big game. So make plans now to join the VSIN betting experts before, during, and after the action on VSIN.com. Wow, already six, huh? Been here since number one. It's been crazy. I remember standing right there telling everybody, all right, before the first one. It was incredible. I was, wait, so how old am I now? So I was like 25, telling Brent Musburger, listen up, bro. I'm the producer here. You're going to tell him. I'm going to tell you what to do. No. All right. Check that out. Super Bowl. I uh, wanted to update really quickly because we were talking about the lines moving uh, for Green Bay now up to six. It does seem like there's some positive news around the two defensive stars that we're talking about here, Nick Bosa and, of course, Fred Warner. Warner even tweeted out uh, yesterday essentially saying, on to the next huge win. You know, we'll be good to go, whatever that means. Also, that Jimmy Garoppolo apparently suffered a shoulder sprain on his throwing arm during the second quarter of the win over the Dallas Cowboys uh, from Shanahan quarterback played through the pain. The win didn't suggest the injury will have any bearing on his availability leading up to the Saturday game quote. He should be fine for practice. Ended up checking out a right slight shoulder sprain should be good for Wednesday's practice. But regardless, despite some positive news and injury notes on three key guys for the San Francisco 49ers market moving in favor of the Green Bay Packers. Again, six across the board, one shot flashing, six minus 120, a total of two. Uh, let's see, about uh, 48 pretty much across the board, but not a big move off of the opening total. Again, 
just cold weather. Nothing much in terms of uh, wind or any other uh, issues that would change things. Also, update really quickly, uh, those three and a half across the board for Tennessee. Those are a solid three and a half with a total of 47 or 47 and a half. We got the news last um, yesterday that, of course, the defensive tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals is not going to be available for the rest of the season. So those defensive line issues, big one. But a big matchup, too, Trey Hendrickson being available for Cincinnati. It's going to be massive because that's a really poor offensive line for the Tennessee Titans from a pass pro perspective. And um, Hendrickson will be very key for that to happen. All right, with that, uh, let's head out. Let's welcome in Nick Kalikas, risk supervisor at Circus Sports. You also find the work over at USC on the line on Fight Pass. Nick, it's really good to talk to you, man, because uh, Matt Santos and I, uh, we are very excited for this card this weekend. It sounds like it's going to be a really good one. So I, I kind of want to start big picture because a card like this can kind of get buried amongst, you know, the divisional rounds and everything going on. Just from like a handle perspective, what kind of, uh, what are you expecting on a card like this? I expect a massive handle, to be honest with you. And we're already seeing that type of action come in. I mean, from a few weeks back, we've, we accepted some larger bets over the counter, especially on the main event, Ghana and Ngannou. It has potential to be the best heavyweight fight in the history of the sport. So I expect, like you said, with the playoff buzz, with everything going on this weekend, I expect the handle to be fantastic across the board here. So let's dive into a couple of these matchups because um, I, I just I was watching some of these uh, like the rematches between Moreno and Figueredo, looking back at some of the old fights between Ghana and Ganu that they have, they have had coming into this. So let's talk with the, the main one. And first off, I wanted to start with the line move because Santos and I were talking about this off the air yesterday. Noticed kind of a move here toward Gan uh, the last uh, what day or so was that sharp money. What was behind that move? Because now we're talking about what in the range of dollar fifty. Yeah, it's getting crazy. I mean, market-wide, you're seeing 150s. We're as high as minus 165 right now, 155 at Circa. So we did get a little bit of action back. Um, but it is the sharp action that caused us to move drastically that way. I mean, like I said, we took several large over-the-counter bets from some new customers as well. That's the thing. In, in an event like this, sometimes you're going to get brand-new players. And you got to be cautious with the amount of money they want to bet. We don't know if he's sharp. We don't know if they're, you know, maybe on the square side. You never know. So you got to respect the amount of money they're getting sometimes over-the-counter, especially if it's some newer players coming in. And we've seen some of that and then on top of it once the line did move a little bit uh, we saw some sharps pounce on the, the gone side as well causing us to be a little defensive and go up with how we did right now minus 165 but at plus 145 we did see some resistance and we've got some sharp action coming back in on Ngano. so this is going to be one of those cases I think the majority of the public will be on the Ngano side at the plus money and we're going to see a mix of sharp action on both guys as well so the, the matchup itself when you're talking about these two styles one of the things that stuck out when you watched uh, Ngano's most recent match with Miosic is and it was a short fight but seemed a little bit more improved in terms of his takedown defense what do you make of this because Gon does have some moments I think it was a Rosenstruck fight where he had like five minutes of control I would assume that's maybe the direction he goes but what do you expect no, I mean, his wrestling and Gano's wrestling continues to improve, and that's the work that he put in with his camp. He's coming from a great camp here um, in Las Vegas, of course, so he's been working at all ends and all aspects of his game. That's why you saw the wrestling improve there. I wouldn't be surprised if we see either guy shoot for a takedown. I think that's kind of you know, a wild card in your back pocket, so to speak, that the other person's not going to quite expect. I think if most would expect a takedown to be from the Gano side, he has used that wrestling, as you said, in the past, but I think Gano can kind of neutralize that, so this fight is going to probably remain on the feet, despite maybe a takedown or two as far as an attempt goes. I don't know if they could kind of keep each other down. I think if it does hit the ground, it will probably be back up pretty quickly. So you mentioned the public side uh, more than likely in Ghana at plus money. You know, in these heavyweight fights, public also likes to look at those round props and think, oh, come on, man, these big guys are going to knock each other out. So when you, when you guys are setting numbers like that, I would assume there's always a shade to the under just because you assume that you're going to get some action there. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think a lot of people are surprised with the total right now. I mean, it's two and a half under yeah. a quarter. We could have probably went up with one and a half rounds because of the firepower, like you just mentioned as well. But I think, again, these guys are durable. I think they could kind of withstand each other a little bit. So you got to respect the fighters. And I think they're at the top of the food chain for a reason as well. So it might not be as quick as people think, but there probably will be a finish. And you're right. You have to shade towards the knockouts. You have to shade towards the finishes for sure, especially in a heavyweight battle like this. Cyril Ghan, only uh, six months older than me. You know, you can tell we're, we're very similar in terms of our body types. <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk about the, the co-main then. Brandon Moreno, Davis Figueredo. So I wanted to start with this from a price perspective. The first two matchups, Davis Figueredo was like over a $2 favorite. He was a sizable favorite. Now, this is a big change here when we're talking about in the range of $1.80, $1.70. So just from a bookmaker's perspective, you know, a change like that, walk us through that because that's a really big flip there for Brandon Moreno. To be honest with you, the line was just wrong both yeah. times. I mean, even in the first one, it was a controversial draw. Figueredo deserved to probably get that nod or whatnot, but it was a very competitive fight, much closer than the opening line and the closing line indicated that day, right? And then the rematch, again, we saw some respect. We saw some sharp action come in on, on the Moreno side as an underdog, and that line was set a little bit too high. I mean, fortunately for us, we were booking to that side. We were booking to the Moreno side, so it worked out pretty well. But again, I just think it's a case where the line was just a little off in both cases. Now you're seeing the true line, especially Especially after Moreno got over that hump. I mean, Figueredo, before their first meeting, I mean, he was just a beast knocking out everybody, finishing everybody. A lot of people didn't think Moreno would last in that spot. So now he got kind of mentally over that hump, and I think he is the better fighter. That's why you're seeing the price kind of more appropriately at this point, I think, in time. So he wins. Moreno does uh, via submission, right rear naked choke. Two fights combined. He's got over eight minutes of control himself. Is that like those things? Does that represent the gap between them when it comes to fighting on the ground, you think? I, both these guys are definitely capable of taking each other down and controlling each other on the ground. I just think Moreno seems to be getting better at a, a faster pace, if that makes sense. Like yeah. I said, the confidence is there now. He keeps on, you know, putting the work into the gym and it's showing. So I think you see more improvements coming from his side. He's a little bit younger, of course, as well. So that's to be expected. On the Figueredo side, we're seeing less of those improvements. But it is noted to be said here, especially in this spot, that he is training with Henry Cejudo now. So he is kind of changing things up a little bit. Figueredo is in his camp. And I think that is going to pay dividends for him here so it's not going to be as easy as the last time we saw Moreno go in there and finish him and kind of dominate him to be honest with you I think yeah. this is going to be a much closer fight I don't know if it's going to be as close as the first fight I think something's going to give here uh, but we'll see how it plays out but that is, is exactly what the scenario is here you'd expect Figueredo to be a little more aggressive too right like the second fight he seemed a little bit pretty timid like I think Santos what would you say 40 seconds or something like that until his first punch was thrown it was really surprising the difference between the first bout between these two and what we know from Figueredo and then what we saw that last time yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, he's an aggressive beast. He's not afraid to go out there and throw. In fact, sometimes that's to his own flaw, meaning that he'll gas out and kind of slow down as the fight progresses if somebody can withstand that. So I think he was being a little bit more disciplined. The weird thing is, I mean, in their first meeting, both of the guys had less time to train, right? Mm -hmm. And he performed better. In the second meeting, he had a full camp, and he, he had more time to prepare for that fight, and he looked worse. So that's kind of a head-scratcher to me. Uh, Moreno definitely looked like he was the better fighter in that second match. But like I said, in the trilogy fight, I expect it to be fireworks. It's going to be a lot more competitive uh, but again I think the sharper action is kind of coming in on the Moreno side right now but we will get some dog bites as well there's no question about it people are going to take just similar to the Ngano fight people realize what Figueredo brings especially to this flyweight division and they're going to take a bite on him by inside the distance him by finish for sure and we will see some dog action come back in yeah you usually do though right in all these fights uh, uh, plus money is where it's at it's where, that's what I hear at least uh, all right hey before we get you out of here we got 90 seconds uh, big card obviously prelims everything one of the cards that we're not talking or one of the fights on any of these cards that we're not talking about that we should watch um let me take a quick glance over at the screen here 
Um, probably, I would say the Stamen and Nurmagomedov fight. I mean, Sayed Nurmagomedov, obviously cousin of Khabib. Um, and then I think the Stamen is a really good wrestler. That's going to be a sleeper fight, I think, on this card for sure, because both these guys are very competitive. They're both well-rounded fighters, and I think it's going to be an extremely close fight. And it's lined as such as well. It's about a two-to-one favor right now for Nurmagomedov. So I think that's kind of going to be one of the sleeper fights of the night on this card. Nick Kalik is risk supervisor over at Circa. Nick, it's good to talk to you. We're up against it, but appreciate the time and the insight, man. No problem. Enjoy the fights out there. Oh, yeah, we will. This weekend's going to be great. I don't know, Santos has uh, been talking about it for a while now. Man. See, this is the cool part, too, because at least the way that my, like, MMA ingesting uh, happens, this is where it ramps up for me. You know what I mean? And then through, like, the, you know, the summer months and everything like that, from about February on, man, and then that's, shockingly, that's when you get some of the best cards, too. All right, we'll come back. We have a lot left to get to. Uh, best bets are going to be on the other side. Recap from last night. Look ahead to the National Football League, um, as well as uh, getting a little insight on some college hoops, because actually it's a pretty good college hoops, uh, hoops card tonight as well. So we'll discuss that much more as we wrap up the edge here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is The Edge on VSEN, the sports betting network. Best bets brought to you by Zen Nicotine Pouches, a fresh way to enjoy nicotine without all the baggage of cigarettes, dip, or vape. No more smelling like an ashtray, no more spit cups, no batteries to charge or leaky equipment to deal with. Zen Nicotine Pouches are smoke-free, spit-free, and available in 10 varieties like spearmint, wintergreen, citrus, and many more. And for your convenience, each variety comes in two strengths, so you can easily find the satisfaction level that's perfect for you. Zen, America's number one nicotine pouch, is available in over 100,000 locations nationwide, meaning it's never been easier to find your Zen. So head on over to zen.com slash find to locate a store near you that's Yn.com slash fine warning product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. I do have some updates, by the way, in the world of the NFL, which we'll get to momentarily. Uh, but really quickly, have best bets uh, update in the NFL and uh, recap last night in the NBA. And that's where we begin. Uh, two losses on the two plays yesterday. Magic plus two against the Trailblazers. Ended up losing that game by 10. It was competitive in the first half, but the uh, end of the second quarter, Trailblazers pulled away. Strong fourth from the Magic ended up uh, allowing the deficit to look a lot less poor than it really was. And the Jazz, four and a half point favorites, at least when I laid it, uh, up nine in the fourth quarter. Like I call it about halfway through. And all of a sudden, Stanley Johnson just absolutely destroys 
the uh, lost, or excuse me, the uh, Utah Jazz. I think he had 12 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, the Heat was just running on him. It was absolutely incredible. Jasmine Colts from the floor. Johnson was hitting every which uh, every shot, left, right, and center. Good performance from Johnson, and the Lakers snap a losing streak and get that win over the Jazz. Only two games tonight. Uh, nothing worth, uh, at least for me. Uh, looking at. We'll update really quickly, though, because there are only two games. One, the Golden State Warriors taking on the Pistons. That's up to 15.5 with a total of 218 or 218.5. How about this? This is an interesting stat before I get to the NFL because uh, I like numbers and whatnot. The Detroit Pistons in the month of January. This seems like it's uh, – this doesn't make sense. So the Pistons are 5-4 and four in the month of January. Pretty good for a team that's like of the Pistons' stature. They're not a very good team. So to have a winning record over 9, 10 games is a really, really solid number. But they're five and four with a negative nine point six net rating. The average margin of defeat in their four losses is thirty three points. So they're five and four, and they're, they've lost those four games by an average of thirty three points. Like it's been insanity watching the Pistons play basketball these last nine games, and they're playing the Warriors. I will say I wouldn't be rushing to play the Warriors. Warriors have not been playing really good basketball. Thirteen and ten straight up, nine to fourteen ATS last twenty three games. We know Draymond Green is out. Gary Payton a little dinged up too, but uh, eh, it's the Pistons. They've been getting their butts kicked if they're not winning. And uh, the Warriors are going to get some support there. So up to 15 and a half in that matchup. And then the other one, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves up to a three-point favorite with a total of 215 over the New York Knicks. Knicks last night uh, losing to the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, been playing decent basketball, but uh, overall uh, hasn't been great offensively for the New York Knicks. So not surprising that they're catching points at home against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Although, remember, home court is worth two points. This Knicks team has had a lot of respect uh, from the market, I would say not really deservedly, but it has had respect. And uh, now all of a sudden they're catching three. So market telling you T-Wolves five points better on a neutral and they'd probably be laying around seven when they're playing at home. All right, let's get to the National Football League. So I think I added this one yesterday, right? We talked about this yesterday, Packers minus five and a half, and I said this in today. Uh, regardless, Packers minus five uh, versus the 49ers, 37-23-1 uh, for the season here. It, look, Green Bay, as we talked about, Pretty good matchup, I think, against San Francisco 49ers. They should be able to test that secondary. I do think that when you're looking at, from a defensive standpoint, the pass rush against that front, uh, that offensive line that has, uh, at times, been suboptimal in protecting Jimmy G, who, as we know, has a, a banged-up shoulder. It is, uh, I think it's going to be a little bit of a lopsided mismatch here. So, yeah, later yesterday, Packers minus five. Wanted to add one more here, and that would be the Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions. I got Matthew Stafford on the brain. Wrong team. Uh, the uh, Los Angeles Rams catching three points against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Look, it, we talked about it at length at the beginning of the show in terms of this matchup and the way that it could potentially play out here. But I think there's a few things that work in the favor of the Rams. Uh, front, front and center, it's the injury situation for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Potentially down three offensive linemen, two of them starters, one of them backups, of course. Uh, when you look at the uh, wide receiver situation, they already know is that play there for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then, of course, the Los Angeles Rams, who... I think when you look at their game plan and what they've been able to do offensively, it's outside zone runs, something that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers statistically have not played very well against defensively, more stout up the middle. There is room there for them to have success on the ground. And then, of course, through play action. And um, it does seem, at least through the two games, that Tom Brady as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer has played against the Los Angeles Rams that this defense does perform uh, relatively well against this Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense, limiting them to under 40 yards rushing per game, forcing Tom Brady to throw it about 50 times per game. Uh, it has been a really lopsided uh, game plan for the Buccaneers in terms of them trying to find some success here. So give me three. And it does seem like the market is moving in that direction too, because right now 
in terms of uh, that matchup. Multiple shops sitting at three with uh, altered juice on the dog side here. We're talking about three minus 120 if you want to take it over at the Westgate. You're laying a buck 15 over at Circa if you want to take it. And um, other spots, Caesar Mirage too. So looks like it's going to be, I would think, I don't know if it's going to go to two and a half, especially not like the full two and a half, right? I think it would take something strong for it to get there because you're going to get a lot of play under that field goal on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But I would say that this probably, this has the look of a game that is going to have that altered juice pretty much everywhere. If it gets off of the three, then it's going to be minus two and a half, minus 120, you know, all of those things that we're going to see uh, throughout the week. So that's why you shop at spots like the South one. You don't alter their juice, right? Because uh, then you can just go in and if it gets that two and a half, you can lay it. I'm sure it would not be there long though. So I'd expect the three to sit here at the South point. All right. Wanted to update very quickly because this did come across about 30 minutes ago, and I was actually talking about this, so we should actually give you factual information on it. And that would be uh, that Trey Henderson, the defensive end pass rushing specialist for the Cincinnati Bengals, was limited in practice today. So that's a really good sign for the Cincinnati Bengals, who, of course, uh, need Hendrickson out there. Remember, he's suffering from a concussion. But that pass rush um, is going to be really important against a Tennessee Titans offensive line that has really failed uh, in terms of protection for Ryan Tannehill. It's also been a big reason why Ryan Tannehill, because he has a penchant for some of these games. They're ugly in terms of the turnover-worthy plays. If you remember that one of that, that loss to the Houston Texans, he committed seven turnover-worthy plays in that loss to the Houston Texans. They actually outgained him by a mile. It was like well over 400 yards. It was incredible what they were able to do statistically, but the turnovers were abysmal. Uh, but this offensive line has been, eh, to say the least, in terms of what they have given up from a sack perspective and from a pressure rate, I'll give this up right now just to give you the accurate number for the, t- the Tennessee Titans. 8.4% in terms of their adjusted sack rate, 47 total sacks. That is 26th in the National Football League. So Trey Henderson, very, very important for what the Tennessee t- or excuse me, the Cincinnati Bengals want to do there. And, man, I just, you know, we, we mentioned this in, in passing yesterday when we talked about this game. You know, we'll have some more numbers on this. I think Matt Ewins is going to be back tomorrow, so we can kind of do the numbers on this uh, in detail. But when you look at Joe Burrow and what has really been the issue for him, as we talked about last week, which was being able to rush the passer uh, without blitzing, without sending extra guys, the Titans aren't going to be able to do that. They don't blitz a lot, but they also don't pressure the opposing quarterback. So they're going to be dropping guys back, but I just don't know if there's going to be success there. So all this leads me to think that I think this is going to be a higher scoring game. The market is... uh, kind of reflected that to a certain extent from 46 to 47 and a couple of shops sitting at 47 and a half, including Westgate right now. I would expect that that's probably going to continue to move in that direction, but there's no weather that indicates that this is going to take off in terms of uh, some scoring, take off points. I should put it that way. And uh, it does seem like Joe Burrow is going to be able to find some success here. This, this is maybe the game that the Bengals and Joe Burrow look kind of like the team that I think the market expected them to look like in this last game against the Las Vegas Raiders, right? Or that team that was uh, lighting up the Kansas City Chiefs. Although, again, I know it's ad nauseum, but the Chiefs blitzed a lot in that game. And the Tennessee Titans aren't going to do that. And I just can't wait for the divisional round football. It's the best round, right? Like, the wild card round kind of sucks because you have, like, these teams that kind of don't deserve to make it. But divisional round, you get, like, obviously the best teams in the NFL. You get the teams coming off of the bye. Ah. All right. Anyway, uh, with that, wanted to touch really quickly on a couple of college basketball games just because uh, they are of great interest uh, to me to start watching a little bit later uh, in the in the uh, in the evening. But we do get some really good ones, specifically in the Big Ten. I wanted to reflect on some of the line moves that we've been seeing here 
Uh, for example, you know, or excuse me, Big Ten. We do have a couple of Big Ten matchups, but the Big 12 is what I was going to go to. Uh, Kansas City, or Kansas City, <laughs> Kansas, the Jayhawks, uh, open up three and a half point favorite in some spots with a total of 144 and a half. Uh, they're taking on Oklahoma today. Uh, this is a pretty big test for a Kansas. Te- I say test. I mean, they're a four point favorite on the road, but, you know, Kansas has, I think, has been, I would say, underwhelming to a certain extent, even though they're a top 10 team. You know, fighting tooth and nail with Iowa State when we saw them play. So I'm really interested in how Kansas handles this spot on the road uh, against Oklahoma. Market clearly has some respect for the Sooners, but Kansas has been, uh, again, to say the least, underwhelming in their role here. Uh, as a team that, look, I have a future on to win the national championship, and I thought was going to be uh, a little bit stronger in terms of what they were putting out there for results, but hasn't been the case. So Kansas on the road against Oklahoma. Uh, you get Duke. In an interesting spot there against Florida State. This number is starting to move in the direction of the Blue Devils. Opened up five with a total of 144.5. Now up to 5.5 of the exact same total. Uh, And then Wisconsin. Wisconsin is looking uh, better and I think better offensively than I expected at least. uh, From a two-point favorite as high as three in some shops with a total of 140 for the Badgers in this matchup against Northwestern. All right, uh, that does it for The Edge. I think we will be whole tomorrow, so we'll find out if that's going to be the case. vcin.com slash podcast. Check that out as you can find all of your favorite shows plus all of our free podcasts as well. And with that, we are all done. We'll see you tomorrow at the same time. My Guys in the Desert coming up next. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, Somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. <laughs> <laughs> 